0: Hello, it's Jocelyn. Welcome to the Positivity in Pregnancy and Motherhood podcast. Today's Friday and it's our motherhood episode and today we are focusing on love, specifically love within your marriage. I recently read The Five Love Languages and it was such a good book and this is the third part of a little book summary that I have done in talking about what I have learned and how I really think that this is valuable in marriages. If you haven't read it or listened to it, I would encourage you to do that. And this episode will give you a sneak peek into a little bit of what Gary Chapman talks about in his book, The Five Love Languages. And before we jump into this episode, I try to give you warnings when I think think I'm going to talk about things that little ears you might not want to hear. And this is one of those episodes. You may want to pop your earbuds in because we talk about some different physical touch at the end of this podcast episode. So if that is a concern for you, pop those earbuds in and enjoy. Hi, I'm Jocelyn, host of the Positive in Pregnancy and Motherhood podcast. I help pregnant women and mothers find positivity in their season of life through changing their thoughts to work for them and not against them. I help mothers find the small, doable steps in thought and action without making drastic changes to their everyday mom life, and I can help you. Thanks for joining! Alright, let's jump right into it I'm going to begin with a story from the book Eric spent a year in Kelsey's friend zone Before she agreed to go out with him Since they were both big baseball fans Eric took her to a minor league game in Indianapolis They were sitting in a grassy area beyond the left field fence When suddenly a hard hit drive came their way Eric jumped up and made an impressive barehanded catch His first home run grab ever. Two days later, Kelsey found a gift-wrapped package outside her dorm room. She opened it and found a baseball in a small plastic display case, the kind that collectors use. Taped to the inside of the case was a ticket stub from the game. Inscribed on the ball was the date of the game and these words. First home run catch. Second, best thing to happen to me that day. They were married two years after that first date. Fifteen years later, that baseball, still in its display case, sits on Kelsey's dresser, where she can see it every day. It's the first thing she would grab if the house were on fire. That is such a cute little story. And that gives a segue into the third love language, which is receiving gifts. A gift is something that you can hold in your hand and say, look, he was thinking of me or she remembered me. You must be thinking of someone to give him a gift. The gift is a symbol of that thought. It doesn't matter whether it costs money. What's important is that you thought of him. And it's not the thought implanted only in the mind that counts, but the thought expressed in actually securing the gift and giving it as an expression of love. Mothers remember the days their children bring a flower from the yard as a gift. They feel loved, even if it was a dandelion or a flower they didn't want picked. From early years, children are inclined to give gifts to their parents, which may be another indication that gift-giving is fundamental to love. Gifts are visual symbols of love. Most wedding ceremonies include the giving and receiving of rings. The person performing the ceremony says, these rings are outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual bond that unites your two hearts in love that has no end. That is not meaningless rhetoric. It is verbalizing a significant truth. Symbols have emotional value. And I want to express that these symbols can be very important. And to some of us, those gifts or gift giving, Is your primary love language and that is very important to you and that's how you feel loved or that's how he feels love is through getting gifts I like how he points out that the gifts don't have to be expensive they can just be something that has was thought of I remember one year my dad had to work overtime on Valentine's and he actually had been working a lot of overtime. There were some bad storms and, um, he was a a lineman. And so dealing with electricity. And I remember he brought home my mom, a heart that he had made out of copper, out of copper wire. And, that was just, like, touched my little heart. And I imagine it touched her heart that he was thinking of her even though he couldn't be with her on Valentine's Day. Like, that didn't cost him anything. I'm sure the copper was just extra. and But he was thinking of of his wife in that moment. And I really think it's just the thoughtfulness. They don't need to be expensive. I have to admit that gift-giving and... Um, getting and receiving gifts is not one of my love languages. I mean, it is, we all like getting gifts, but it's not my primary love language. And so I tend to be more tight. <laughs> like I, I hang on to my money a little bit more, but I really liked that he put this part in the chapter. It's called, this section is called the best investment. And I'm just going to read a little bit of the first two paragraphs. It says, if you are to become an effective gift giver, you may have to change your attitude about money that's me. (laughs) Each of us have an individualized perception of the purposes of money, and we have various emotions associated with spending it. Some of us have a spending orientation. We feel good about ourselves when we are spending money. Others have a saving and investing perspective. We feel good about ourselves when we are saving and investing it wisely. If you are a spender, you will have little difficulty purchasing gifts for your spouse. But if you are a saver, you will experience emotional resistance to the idea of spending money as an expression of love. You don't purchase things for yourself. Why would you purchase things for your spouse? But that attitude fails to recognize that you are purchasing things for yourself. By saving and investing money, you are purchasing self-worth and emotional security. You are caring for your own emotional needs in the way you handle money. What you are not doing is meeting the emotional needs of your spouse. If you discover that your spouse's primary love language is receiving gifts, then perhaps you will understand that purchasing gifts for him or her is the best investment you can make. You are investing in your relationship and filling your spouse's emotional love tank. With a full love tank, he or she will likely reciprocate emotional love to you in a language that you will understand. When both person's emotional needs are met, your marriage will take on a whole new dimension. Don't worry about your savings. You will always be a saver. But to invest in loving your spouse is to invest in blue chip stocks. And I think that's very powerful. That even some of us that are savers, if uh, we tend to be married or happen to be married to someone who is a gift giver, that investing will be worth it. Okay. The fourth love language is called acts of service. So this is where you feel your love tank gets filled up when they do acts of service for you. What are acts of service? Acts of service can be actions such as cooking a meal, setting a table, emptying the dishwasher, vacuuming, changing the baby's diaper, picking up a prescription, keeping the car in operating condition, paying the bills, trimming the shrubs, walking the dog, dealing with landlords and insurance company, all of those are acts of service. They require thought, planning, time, effort, and energy. And if those are done with a positive spirit, they are indeed expressions of love. And they don't necessarily require a lot of time. It is just doing things for each other. It is doing little acts of service that you know, would really help your spouse. I feel like acts of service also is not my primary love language, but it gets more important when I am pregnant because I am not able to do as many things because I am so sick that acts of service become more important to me. Like I really need some extra help around the house. I need you to do a couple of these things because I just can't get to it. And I do feel like they can kind of ebb and flow. Um, but I, that's just my personal opinion. He does not agree with that. He basically feels that we have pretty dominant love languages, and I do have a dominant one, but I feel like this gets a little bit more important when it comes to pregnancy, and you might notice that as well. And at the end, I'm going to give you tips for when seasons like this happen, and they might shift just a little bit, and different love languages kind of tend to be a little bit more important that that we will hit that at the very end on who, what you need to do and how to um, convey that to your spouse. Okay, I wanted to read another section that talks about criticism and demands because sometimes when it comes to needing acts of service, we can say it in a very rude and um, almost derogatory way if we're not very careful in how we phrase what we request of our spouse. He says, criticism and demands tend to drive wedges. With enough criticism, you may get acquiescence from your spouse. He may do what you want, but it will probably not be an expression of love. You can give guidance to love by making requests. I wish you would wash the car, change the baby's diaper, mow the grass, but you cannot create the will to love. Each of us must decide daily to love or to not love our spouses. If we choose to love, then expressing it in a way which our spouse requests will make our love most effective emotionally. Alright, I wanted to read this part as well. There's just a lot of good quotes and he says it so well. It says, my spouse's criticisms about my behavior provide me with the clearest clue to his or her primary love language. People tend to criticize their spouse most loudly in the area where they themselves have the deepest emotional need. So if you're not sure what your love language is or even what your spouse is, those criticisms or um, things like that can give you the biggest clue into where where their cup is is feeling empty and where it might need need filled. Something that he brings up in the book that I think is worth noting is stereotypes. Sometimes it seems like the woman is supposed to stay home with the children and the man is supposed to work or the woman is supposed to change the diapers and the man is supposed to do the oil changes. We kind of have these stereotypes of the way that things should be, (laughs) should being in quotes. And sometimes we need to learn to let go of those stereotypes because our marriage and our family might look different. We might need our husband's help in some areas like changing diapers Or he might need us to take the car to get the oil change. Letting go of those stereotypes can be powerful when it comes to acts of service. And we can help each other out and fill each other's emotional bank account. (laughs) Emotional tank by letting go of these stereotypes and serving others. Okay, moving on to the last love language. I'm sure since most of my audience is likely women that this is all your favorite love language. (laughs) Just kidding, I'm saying that with a little bit of sarcasm. But the last love language is physical touch. And I know for a lot of women this one can be a little bit tough. And this one is usually a top one for men. So let's hear what he says at the beginning and then we'll talk about this and I'll share some things that I have learned. And I apologize about the background noise. My daughter was looking at a book. Um, she, uh, she went to the other room, though. So hopefully things get a little quieter. We have long known that physical touch is a way of communicating emotional love. Numerous research projects in the area of child development have made that conclusion. Babies who are held, stroked, and kissed developed a healthier emotional life than those who are left for long periods of time without physical contact. Physical touch is also a powerful vehicle for communicating marital love. Holding hands, kissing, embracing, and sexual intercourse are all ways of communicating emotional love to one's spouse. For some individuals, physical touch is their primary love language. Without it, they feel unloved. With it, their emotional tank is filled and they feel secure in the love of their spouse. If you don't come from a touchy family and then you marry someone who is touchy, this may be a little bit difficult. It's going to take time and it's going to take practice. And most of all, it's going to take mindset shifts in order for you to do this. I know that it has taken a lot of mindset shifts for me in order to get better at this area of my marriage. I have not been great at, at physical touch. Um, I am very ticklish, and I so I just naturally don't love being touched all the time. <laughs> and so I've had to really open that up because my husband, he's different. He enjoys the physical touch, and he enjoys to wrap his arms around me. And over the years, I have had to deliberately choose to allow myself to enjoy that more and as I have, it actually has been amazing. What Gary Chapman says in this book, if you fill your spouse's love tank, it will actually reciprocate and he will do better at filling up your love tank and I have found that to be true as I have invested in doing better with my husband and learning him better. I like what he says right here. He says, not all touches are created equal. Some will bring more pleasure to your spouse than others. Your best instructor is your spouse, of course. After all, he is the one you are seeking to love. He knows what best he perceives as loving touch. And that's same with you. Don't insist on touching him in a way, in your way and in your time. So do it as they like and there are still boundaries that i have that i just don't enjoy being touched that way and my husband knows those boundaries because i have learned to tell him i have learned to tell him that i do not like when my ears are touched i just do not like that learn to speak their love dialect dialect your ha- your spouse may find some touches uncomfortable uncomfortable or irritating to insist on continuing those touches is to communicate the opposite of love It is saying that you are not sensitive to his needs and that you care little about his perceptions of what is pleasant. Don't make the mistake of believing that the touch brings of the touch that brings pleasure to you will also bring pleasure to her. I have found that touch is required in marriage. Even for me, who is not a big touchy filly person, touch is important. Holding his hand when we're in the car Him giving me a hug, or like I say, holding me from behind. I have really learned to love and need those touches. A kiss before he goes home to work. A kiss when he comes home. Simple little touches like that are like the compound effect. It's like adding pennies to your marriage bank account that is going to make a big return and a big dividend in the long run. If this is not your love language though, I understand and I understand it can be really difficult. If you have a hard time with intimacy and your husband really like he needs that to fill his emotional tank, that was one I had to work through as well. I read many books, listened to many podcasts and YouTube videos on shifting my mindset and working to get better at that aspect. I will share that Jana Denton House on YouTube, some of her YouTube videos really helped me in that area and if you are struggling in the intimacy area, I encourage you to go title search some of her videos on YouTube and listen to the ones that sound good to you. Um, she really resonated with me. I didn't watch all of her videos but I watched enough to really help me move forward in that area where I was stuck and I feel like that was very important and has, and has really drawn my marriage closer together. It's not only made my marriage better and drawn us to better, together better, but I've enjoyed that aspect of marriage better. And I think that is beautiful and sacred. And sometimes as women, we have so many to-do lists and things on our mind and the children and all the things we need to do that we don't really allow ourselves to be present in those moments. Or at least that was my, my mistake. And um, I could actually do a whole podcast episode on that and how I had to really just tune everything out and allow myself to be present. I'm sure you probably think that all men, their number one language, love language, is is physical touch because of inst- intimacy. But in the book, it, he says this, and I really thought this was important, especially if your husband's love first love language is not intimacy. He says... For the male, sexual desire is physically based. That is, the desire for sexual intercourse is stimulated by the buildup of sperm cells and seminal fluid in the seminal vesicles. When the semical, se, seminal seminal vesicles—say that ten times fast—are <laughs> full, there is a physical push for release. Thus, the male's desire for sexual intercourse has a physical root. For the female, sexual desire is far more influenced by her emotions. If she feels loved and admired and appreciated by her husband, then she has a desire to be physically intimate with him, but without the emotional closeness, she may have little physical desire. Her biological sex drive is closely related or closely tied to her emotional need for love. Because the male is physically pushed to have sexual release on a somewhat regular basis, he may automatically assume that this is his primary love language. But if he does not enjoy physical touch at other times in non-sexual ways, it may not be his love language at all. Sexual desire is quite different from his emotional need to feel loved. That doesn't mean that sexual intercourse is unimportant to him. It is extremely important. But sexual intercourse alone will not meet his need to feel love. The wife must speak his primary emotional love language as well. And to me, that was very eye-opening that they have like a physical need for that to release. So they may have another love language that needs to be filled as well. So how do you implement this? How do you figure out your love language or their love language and then learn to speak each other's love language? I'm going back to what I told you with acts of service. It takes time, it takes intentionality, and it takes conversations. It takes working through it. It takes telling him what you need. Unfortunately, it took me a really long time to learn that I had to tell Isaac what I needed. That I needed him to tell me some nice words and to encourage me. That I just, I needed to prompt him with questions like, how are you feeling? How do you feel about us? and and stuff like that. I had to tell him what I needed. He can't read your mind. And that was the tip I wanted to give you is that our husbands can't read our mind when it comes to the ways we need to be filled with love. We'd like to assume that they can just know that that's what we need and that they can do it, but it just doesn't work that way. Men can't read our mind. But I found that as I have kind of repeatedly told him through different conversations and over time, what i have needed and what fills my love tank up he's gotten better at speaking my love language even though it's not necessarily his top love language and so that's probably my biggest tip is to tell him and to talk through it those communication things are so important if you want a deeper dive in the love languages Read his book. I was only able to touch on a small fraction of what was in this book, and the stories and examples are powerful. Even if you feel like your marriage is like there's not much hope, he has given examples in this book of marriages that have been like just existing for I think one of the examples was 30 years, and they were able to turn it around and to build a strong marriage where they were able to love each other and just fill that deep emotional need of their love languages. It is, it is so powerful. And this book was so powerful to me. Love is a choice. And I'm going to try and say that a few more times before this podcast episode ends. Love is a choice. He quotes, here's a quote. It says, we come, we each come to marriage with a different personality and history. We bring emotional baggage into our marriage relationship. We come with different expectations, different ways of approaching things, and different opinions about what matters in life. In a healthy marriage, the variety of perspectives must be processed. We need not agree on everything, but we must find a way to handle our differences so they do not become divisive. With empty love tanks, couples tend to argue and withdraw, and some may tend to be violently verbal or physical in their arguments but when the love tank is full, we create a climate of friendliness, a climate that seeks to understand, that is willing to allow differences and to negotiate problems. I am convinced that no single area of marriage affects the rest of marriage as much as meeting the emotional need for love. Love is powerful, love is healing, and love is a choice. In his book, he also has common questions and answers. Maybe you're confused about how to figure out his love language or your love language. He even has a quiz in the background to help you figure out what your love language might be and what your spouse's love language might be. And me and my spouse actually did do that. And it was really fun and really revealing to do that together and to know that we have different love languages and that we can learn to speak each other's. Anyway... I loved this book. I thought it really helped to fill my perspective about love. My biggest tip is to communicate what you need. Tell him he can't just guess that you needed a hug today because it was a hard day. He can't just guess that you needed him to change that diaper because you were at your wit's end. He can't just guess that you need to be told often that, you, that he loves you. He does need you to tell him and to help guide him, kindly guide him. Don't do it rudely and in a hard, harsh tone, but gently guide him in filling up your cup and do your best to find ways to fill up his love cup anyway, or love tank. I think I've used like five different words for that. <laughs> love cup, love tank, emotional bank account, whatever it is, they all stand for the same thing of filling our love and filling love. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving this podcast a rating and review. And most of all, thank you for implementing what you have learned into your life. I am learning right alongside you and it is a journey. It's an adventure. Let's enjoy this motherhood and marriage adventure all together. Until next time. Thank you for being a part of the Positive in Pregnancy and Motherhood podcast. For listening. For sharing. And most of all, for applying these tools into your own life to improve your own happiness so that you can find your own better thoughts, for a better you in a positive pregnancy, in losing that stubborn baby weight and becoming the mom you desire to be through taking small steps in thought and action to reach your goals. If you are a mother who has an inner desire to enjoy motherhood and pregnancy better, but you are having difficulty figuring it out, I can help you. I can help you find the small, doable steps without drastic changes to your everyday mom life. Reach out. Let's connect. And let's see you move forward. My name is is Jocelyn and I thank you for listening until next time